0: Well, this is a wolf, and he's doing what wolves do. Wolves hunt and kill and devour their prey. Peter was there when Jesus said, watch out for false prophets or false teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly... They are ferocious wolves. How many of you would play with one of these guys? I mean, if you saw this scene, you'd take your children, Craig, you'd take the girls and just mosey up to this critter and see if you could pet it. Anybody? False teachers will come, Jesus said as wolves in sheep's clothing to hunt down your souls and try to destroy our faith and devour us spiritually. We're in the middle of a a study of the little letter of 2 Peter. It's right toward the end of your Bibles, if you want to turn there. We've entitled our, our, our walk through this little letter, Hope and Holiness When the Wolves Come In. Peter writes this letter specifically to warn the church of false teachers. And he he writes to encourage them about how to deal with false teachers. In chapter 1, we learn that in our relationship with God, He has given us everything we need to follow Jesus. Also there in chapter 1, we learned that if we'll work hard using all we have in Christ leaning on his promises and standing in his power, if we'll work hard to grow in godliness, we can live with great assurance of our salvation and we can remain steadfast, not swayed by the lies of even false teachers. Chapter 1 was a very positive chapter about the beauty and power of Jesus that can give us hope and, and empower holiness even in the face, face of false teachers. But then we turn the page into chapter 2. And there, Peter, he loved the blood-bought church of God enough there in his day, and God threw Peter for us today to write chapter 2 of this little letter. In chapter 2, things go from positive to negative. Peter, in chapter 2, wants us to see the very bleak End of those who don't hold to the truth of the gospel so that we don't end up with them in their deceit in the here and now and ultimately in their everlasting destruction. It's a strong chapter. As we began to see last week, in chapter 2, Peter issues a wolf warning. This is part 2 of that wolf warning. Today we're going to be looking at Chapter 2, verses uh, 9 through 22. And in these verses, we have a strong warning about the destruction that will come to those who buy the lies of false teachers and reject the power of Jesus for hope and holiness. Here's what I want you to take home with you. We must expect and understand false teachers so that we do not fall prey to their lies. You know enough about a wild wolf to know you don't walk up and try to pet it. The question is, do we know enough? Will we expect and recognize and understand enough about a false teacher that we would know who they are when we see them and avoid their teaching, their lies like the plague? That's Peter's goal for us. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, if this is so... And in the context, he's, he's, he's been going through three different examples of God's ability to punish the wicked. And he says, if this is so, if these past examples of how God judged sinners, false teachers in particular... Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment... On the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straightway and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. And a sow that is washed returns to wallowing in the mud. Peter gives us a strong wolf warning. We're to be aware and and, 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 and expecting and able to recognize false teachers when they come. Because as Peter makes it clear, they're deadly. And they will be destroyed. I want you to notice several things in this text quickly with me about these false teachers. First of all, I want you to see their presumption in verses 10 through 12. He says of of these false teachers that it's especially true of them that God can reserve them for punishment who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Those are a couple of key ways you'll recognize false teachers And here's what happens when that's going on, when they're following the desires of the flesh and despising authority, bold and arrogant. They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. He says here basically that that these teachers were were, were placing themselves even above the, the level of angels who were actually stronger than they are. And he says even the angels don't play games with God's authority structure and God's power structure in this universe. And yet, false teachers will be so bold and so arrogant that they're not afraid to even mock the angels. And as he says in verse 12, these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. When you hear... A false teacher, when you hear someone talking about uh, things that that relate to the desires of the flesh, and somehow they're baptizing those things. When you hear someone who who seems to have a disregard for, for all authority, who, who doesn't want to be in, in subjection or, or 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 answer to anyone, chances are you're listening to a false teacher. Someone who, who, who doesn't that never Talk about the word accountability and certainly doesn't make themselves accountable to anyone. These are some beginning signs and root issues in the heart of a false teacher. They're very presumptuous. But I want you to know. secondly, in this text, their practices in verses 13 Uh, beginning in verse second part of verse 13 down through verse 16, their idea of pleasure, here's what they do. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Uh, When do most people carouse? At night. Not these guys. They just bring it into the daytime. Because remember, they're bold and arrogant, and they don't live by the same rules that everybody else does. They can do what they want to do because they are falsely called God's man, God's woman, whatever it may be. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. He's talking to the church and he's saying, here's the deal. They're living their life of sin while they're feasting with the church. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. A couple more things come to the surface here. Their eyes are full of adultery. Sexual immorality, just a a lust in their heart that that they feed, that they don't try to kill but they feed it, is always there. They're experts in greed. A love for money is there. They've left the straightway and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. You may remember that awesome Old Testament story from Numbers 22. When the Israelites were approaching the land of Moab, Balak, the king of Moab, was afraid of them and sent for a prophet named Balaam and offered him money, said, listen, I just the Israelites are coming, I want you to curse. If, I'll pay you if you'll just curse the Israelites. Balaam loved gain from wrongdoing, specifically gain from someone willing to pay for his prophetic service, services. So, so Peter takes that example and brings it into play here. And uses that same Old Testament example to to refer to the false teachers of of his day. And and so probably the false teachers were not only luring uh, young converts into sexual license, but they were charging them for this special teaching. And so all of a sudden, within the church, you've got people that are being told by their leader, by their teacher, that it's okay to live like the world around them, and they're getting paid extra to do it. Their practices. Thirdly, notice their prophecies, their teaching. Verse 17, 18, and 19, we'll read portions of those. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. I just, I think of a mirage. If you're in the desert and you see something that looks like, I mean, you hear about this all the time. You see something that looks like an oasis and you get there and what is it? It's sand. It's not what it appeared to be. You, you, you dive in only to find out you're, there's no water. That's, that's how false teachers are. Verse 18, for they mouth empty boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh they entice people. They say a whole lot but they never really say anything when it comes to the truth of God. They use a lot of words but, and they even make people feel good. They appeal to the lustful desires of the flesh. But when you walk away You've not heard from God. The ears have only been tickled. The heart and the emotions have only been stirred. They entice people. Verse 19, they promise them freedom. While they themselves are slaves of depravity for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Man, that's true just all across life, isn't it? And for the false teachers, they are slaves of the lie. They are slaves of the lies of the flesh and of the devil and of their own own pride. And how quickly we can become enslaved with them if we listen. They promise them freedom. You know, this is a a problem this this idea of promising freedom and yet sin enslaving is a problem that Paul knew or the, the the apostles knew that we would run into Peter himself back in 1 peter two sixteen he encourages us live as free people, we are free in Christ, amen, we are free from condemnation, we are free from the law as 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 any any sort of um, standard that we, that we have to fulfill for salvation. We are free from the condemnation of the law. But Peter says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Peter says, here's the deal. You're free from God's condemnation. You're free from guilt and shame But you're not free to take that freedom and use it to cover up evil. You're not free to say, you know, there's grace, so I'm just going to live however I want to live. Christ died for my sins, so I'm really not going to worry about obeying him. For in doing so, we just essentially spit in the face of the one who hung on the cross for us. Paul put it another way. In Galatians 5, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You know, we shouldn't let anybody else's thoughts and measurements and standards make us feel condemned or guilty. Paul hated legalism. We shouldn't even set up our own criteria that... that you know, we have a list, and man, if we, if we can check off all these things, then we're spiritual. The reason is we stand before a holy God, and nobody's list is good enough. And before the law of holy God, we cannot stand. Because his law is too holy. It's perfect. We're called to be free. But Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The opposite of legalism is 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 license. And we take the cross and we say, you know, Jesus died for our sins, therefore we can we can just live however we want to, and it's all of grace anyway, so I'm not going to sweat obedience a whole lot. Jesus said, If you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. You don't earn salvation by keeping the commandments, but you prove the fact that you've embraced the cross, that you've trusted Jesus as your only righteousness and hope, as you seek to give him your life and serve one another humbly in love, living, as Peter put it, as God's slaves. Their teachings... A bunch of empty words that do nothing but stoke the fires of the desires, the lusts of the flesh. A bunch of empty words that do positive damage by encouraging people to use their freedom in Christ as a cover-up for evil. To abuse the grace of God. To presume on the grace of God. As they indulge in sin. Fourthly this morning, I want you to notice their prey. Verse 14 and also verse 18. Second part of verse 14. They seduce the unstable. They entice people, verse 18, who are just escaping from those who live in error. Who does this describe? They seduce the strong... Those who know the word of God, those who are grounded in the truth of the gospel, those who, 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 are, who are strong in the power of the Holy Spirit, they're standing on God's promises, they're acting the miracle, they're living the miracle, that, that, that the divine nature, we can actually participate in it. God can enable us to not sin but obey Jesus. Is that the ones that false teachers pray on? No, they pray on the unstable, those who are not all those things those who are not grounded in the Word of God. They entice people who are just, that's, this is a time, uh, time phrase here, those who are just escaping from those who live in error. The, the, the picture is new believers, immature people in the faith, and new believers. These are the ones that false teachers prey on. You know, if you're a new believer here today, if you're a young Christian, I just want to encourage you. Please make Bible study, both personally and with other believers, a priority. Because false teachers will prey on you if you do not know the Word of God. They will be able to convince you of their lies. Church, what a responsibility we have, amen? to those who are new or immature in the faith, to make sure that they are taught and grounded in the Word of God, that their lives, not just their heads, but their hearts and their, 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 their daily behavior is shaped by the Word of the living God. That's why we're passionate about Sunday school here at East LJ. Let me encourage you, if you're not in a Sunday school class, please make it a priority so that you can dig more deeply into God's Word together with others and have eyes to see when false teaching is happening because it can happen even right here. Now, rest assured, myself and your leadership are going to do all we can to make sure there's no false teaching that happens publicly here. Peter writes to people, Peter, an apostle, writes to people, and he, Christians all over the known world, churches he had established, and, and he says, they will come. They will come. Finally, their punishment. This is where it gets kind of ugly, doesn't it? This is where we should tremble. Verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Hallelujah and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Peter's saying it may look like they're getting away with something. God knows how to hold them till the day of judgment comes. And when it comes, his judgment on them will fall. They're like, verses 12 and 13, they're they're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, And like animals, they too will perish. Before a holy God, they they may seem clever. They they, they may seem brilliant here among men. But before a holy God who is the judge of all the earth, they're just like animals to be hunted down. And and rest assured, Peter says, the judgment of a holy God will hunt them down and destroy them on the day of judgment. And those are strong words. You don't want to be on the receiving end of the judgment of God. You don't want to be one who the hounds of heaven are tracking down for judgment. Because you will be caught. They will be paid back, verse 13, with harm for the harm they have done. Blackest darkness, verse 17, is reserved for them. This is a picture of hell. This is a picture of of the lake of fire. This is a picture of everlasting destruction away from the presence and glory of God eternally. And then in verses 20 to 22, he says. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Listen to this. These are powerful words. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them. Of them. The Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. You see, there's no salvation apart from a faith that perseveres in obedience to Jesus Christ. These are men and women who professed to have understood the gospel and had a salvation experience with Jesus and and having believed the truth of the gospel and yet by their lifestyle and in their teaching, they turned their backs on the one who died for them. And Peter says it would have been better that they'd have never heard the gospel than for them to have heard it and for it not to have lasting change in their lives. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, echoes the the teaching of all the New Testament. I preach to you, Paul says, the gospel which you received, in which you stand, by which you were saved. But listen to what he says if you hold fast. How do you know if you've really received the gospel? How do you know if you really stand today in Christ? How do you know if you are saved? If you continue to hold fast to him. If you continue to stand in the truth of the gospel. You remember what Peter said back in chapter 1? Make, 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 take great pains to make your calling and election what? Sure. And how do we see you do that? You work hard to grow in godliness by the power and promises of Jesus Christ. John Piper says, the more evidence you have of Christ's reality, the more severe your judgment will be for not repenting. You see, it's proven by the actions of false teachers. The fact that they forsake the truth of the gospel and teach and live lies and teach and live things that go against who Jesus is and the holiness of God. They prove by their life and their teaching that they never knew him. That's why those two images, really gross images, at the end there in verse 22 are fitting, and they're very telling. You know how a dog's not human It goes back and eats its own vomit. And you know thereby that a dog is a dog. You don't have to worry about there being a person hidden in a dog costume, right? The nature of the animal dictates its behavior and a dog will eat its own vomit. And you've all seen it. A sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. You know, you can clean up a pig. How many of you ever showed hogs in FFA or such things? Okay. Joe Hensley showed hogs back in the day. David Hensley, the other people. Well, yeah. I mean, y'all prettied them up too, didn't you? But when the show was over, where'd they go? I mean, unless you kept them in a barn away from the mud, they went back to the mud because why? They're pigs. That's what Peter's saying here about the false teachers. They can put on a show. They can say the right things. They can act right. But here's the deal. If they are truly... Like, if, if they're truly saved, they'll live like it. If they don't know Jesus, they'll live like it. And when a false teacher goes back and wallows in the mud of the world, and in, the, in the mud and the muck of sin... When a false teacher eats his own vomit, I mean, this is supposed to be gross. You're supposed to recoil when you hear this to realize this is what they're doing. Then, then, then don't question. He is a false teacher. She is a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, Jesus talked like this. That's where Peter got it. Matthew 11, verses 23 and 24. And you, Capernaum, Will you be lifted up to the heavens? He's addressing a whole town that had rejected him. No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable, be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Last week we looked at what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says fire rained down out of heaven because of their sin. God judged them, and he consumed the entirety of their city. All that was left is, was ashes. Archaeologists cannot find any remains of stone even in that place now. And Jesus comes along, and he says to Capernaum, it will be more bearable for Sodom in the day of judgment than you. I mean, they were good Jews in Capernaum. Chances are they weren't living in open uh, immorality and homosexuality and just all sorts of filthy lifestyles and sin. They they weren't living like that in Capernaum like they were in Sodom in the Old Testament. How could Jesus say it'll be more tolerable for, for Sodom in the day of judgment than for you, Capernaum? You bunch of good, cleaned up, religious Jews. How could he say that? He could say it because they had seen the Son of God in the flesh. He could say it because they had met and heard the teaching of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and they had rejected him. see, Peter's telling us here, it would have been better for them to have never known the truth than to become a false teacher who denies the gospel, who denies Jesus by their teaching and by their living. And their judgment will be worse, more severe in the end. Because the more evidence you have of Christ's reality, the more severe your judgment for not repenting. You see, we must expect and understand false teachers so that we do not fall prey to their lies. Well, you've now received God's wolf warning. In this chapter, you've gotten enough truth that you ought to be able to recognize a false teacher when he or she comes. False teachers, Peter tells us, will come. But you can now expect them and recognize them when they do. You can know that anyone who leads you to start disobeying the teachings of Jesus, who downplays holiness... Anyone who encourages you to be proud of your own spiritual condition and be self-sufficient. Anyone who who baptizes the hellish love of money and says it's okay for Jesus' followers to run after earthly wealth. Anyone who blesses using your freedom in Christ to justify feeding your your fleshly, even sexual lust. You now know that such are wolves who will tear you to pieces. And they'll take you with them into unending destruction. Have you ever encountered a wolf in these terms? How many of you have ever encountered a false teacher? If you've turned your TV on and listened to most anyone on TV preaching, there are exceptions now. There was a day when it didn't seem like there was any exception to that, right? They're out there. They're close by. For all we know, they're in this room this morning. How do you live in hope and holiness when the wolves come in? Well, chapters 1 and 2 teach us this. You live in careful and practical obedience to Jesus. You're serious about holiness. Even as you hope in the power of the resurrected Christ and in his promises, and you run from and expose when you see him false teachers. Let's pray.